Second Chronicles 14, verses 1 through 7. Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for ten years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the ashram and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. So with the 20th anniversary of 9-11 last month, I found myself watching pretty glued to lots of documentaries. And one of the things that I noticed in those documentaries of one of the darkest days of American history, one of the things that I noticed the most was each one of those documentaries had stories of some incredible things, some bright spots that were taking place on that day. So there were stories of people loving and serving, people sacrificing, extending themselves, running into danger instead of running away. On a, on a horrific day, there were these moving accounts of how people were bright spots. And I thought about that as I was, as I was reading in my daily Bible reading recently. And I, I came to Second Chronicles. And I, I thought about a similar theme. Because as you read through Second Chronicles, what you find, it, it really is a dark mess. As you read through the entire book, from the beginning to the end, it is just a heartbreaking unraveling of the kingdom of Israel. It seems to all fall apart. And yet, in the midst of that, there are bright spots. And that is really what I want our attention to be focused on over the next few weeks. There are these bright spots. There are these individuals who God uses, who have a heart for him. And they give inspiration and hope. I think they remind me that even in the dark world that we may live in, we can still be, just as Jesus called us to be, we still can be the light of the world. We can be together the light of the world. So we are going to be spending some time in Second Chronicles, and my guess is if I were to do a random pop quiz on your knowledge of Second Chronicles, or maybe kind of any ancient Israelite history, my guess is this would not be your strong suit for most people in the room. Maybe there are a few of you out there, I'm guessing for most of us, you probably don't. It's not right at the tip of your tongue, the outline of Second Chronicles, and that's totally okay. But it also does mean if we're not that familiar with that as we may be other portions of Scripture, it probably will be helpful for us to, to think through some of the, the things we need to remember as we're reading. So even as Rick read a moment ago, 
it's different than what we come into contact with pretty regularly. So we're not going to chase down, we don't have time to chase down every historical detail, every archaeological detail that we could possibly think of. Even all that would be very interesting. But I, just, I do want us to note, even as we get into a passage like Second Chronicles, some of the differences. So it's a challenging read at times because it's such a different time and such a different era. So when we read stories, it's not like we could go, oh, yeah, I heard something like this happened in Hokesson last week. It, it never is like that when you're reading Second Chronicles. It, it feels like there is about, uh, you know, many centuries gap in a very different part of the world with very different kind of customs. And it's also different because we're reading in Second Chronicles, we're reading stories. And stories are different than passages of Scripture that say, trust in the Lord with all your heart or the Lord is our refuge and strength, or love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, we, we can kind of figure out what to do with those, but when we read stories, there's conflict, and there's narration, and there's plot, and there's, there's drama, and there are characters, and there's resolution, and there's all these things that go into a story. Not to mention it's not just any story. It's not just the, the Netflix series that we're watching. It is actually God's Word. It's a different kind of a story. It's a story that God inspired for us to hear and to know that we will live by words like this, Jesus said, not by bread, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. So these stories, we listen. We're in the Old Testament. There are, there are other complexities in the Old Testament, right? So, I mean, we meet as a church, but much of the Old Testament is based on a nation, a national entity called Israel with laws and customs and rituals and an entire government. And also there's some differences in stories, again, like in Second Chronicles, where often in this portion of the Bible, as the king goes, so goes the country. So you, read, you don't read a lot about individuals, you read about the king, and it seems like it has an outsized influence on the nation. Not only that, but as you read portions of scripture like this, there is a covenant that God has made with the nation. And that covenant sounds different, foreign to a lot of the things we sing about and the things that we practice even as a church, because there are, with this covenant, there are animal sacrifices and there are these ornate garments that are worn by a certain family of priests who are going to lead Israel in worship. And there's a set of pilgrimages on high holy days that must be taken. And then there's structures and places of meeting with God with detailed specifications. It's just a different world. And we need to be at least aware of that as we begin to walk through some of Second Chronicles without getting too deep. We know something has turned, though, when you come into the New Testament because our priest is Jesus. It's not a family. And our sacrifice is Jesus, not an animal. And our temple is Jesus. Our place where we meet God is Jesus. And so there are lots of things that are different. So we have to kind of filter things through those lenses, but we can do that. We can do that, right? Again, lots of Second Chronicles is going to tell a story of a really dark mess. But there are some bright spots, and we're going to zero in on one of those, an individual who whose scripture records had a real heart for God. 
as well as there's a phrase that's going to keep repeating itself. I think it's going to teach us a lot about what God has for us. So today, Rick read about King Asa. King Asa, the story, he's a real person. It gives us a window into like a life and quality that honor God. The story of Asa is going to be from 2 Chronicles 14 to 16. And in 2 Chronicles 14, 16, nine times in the story of Asa, you get the same, the same wording, and that is Asa was seeking the Lord. So you read the word seek or seeking or sought nine times. It's like disproportionate compared to any other place in scripture. You read the word seeking the Lord. So clearly the author, clearly the Holy Spirit wants us to zero in on that phrase, seeking the Lord. What does that mean? Let's not be like, let's be clear. Like, what does that mean? And I think it's helpful for us to zero in because I would guess most people in the room, there's some part of you that wants to do exactly that, wants to seek the Lord. I'm, I'm gathering that many, if not most, you want God to be central in your life. You want him to play an important role. Even if you feel like you don't, you don't seek him perfectly, you still want that. So this is helpful for us to like dig into what can we really piece together from Asa's life that will help us understand what does it mean to seek the Lord? And so I just want us to go through those verses that Rick read a moment ago and really get a, an eye for if we could give some definition, some handholds to what does it mean to seek the Lord? I think one, we, one thing we would say is seeking the Lord means turning to God with your whole heart, wholeheartedly turning to the Lord. Verse 2 says this, and Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes or in the sight of the Lord, his God. So the Lord is watching. We live in his presence. He sees everything, whether we think it so or not. He sees everything. And Asa had this desire that he would live good and right in the sight of the Lord. He turned to the Lord in verse 7. He sought the Lord. If, if you've ever played games before with the Lord and kind of your faith, this is like the opposite of playing games. This is Asa turning to the Lord wholeheartedly, voluntarily saying, I want you in my life comes up in what you talk about because out of the overflow of the heart scripture says the mouth speaks so if something's going on in your heart you can't help but talk about it it's going to inform rhythms and practices that go well beyond just where you land on a sunday morning so seeking the lord if anything okay one piece of that is going to be turning to god wholeheartedly but seeking the Lord involves another turn. It's not just, and Nathan mentioned this a moment ago, it's not just turning to the Lord, but it's turning away from all evil. Turning away from all evil. Even when it's hard, even when it's costly, there are tangible actions to say, I have a different set of priorities. I have a different set of values. I have a different set of joys. I have a different set of desires. I'm turning from some things and I'm turning to the Lord. I want to walk with him, but I'm, I've got to turn from some things for that to happen. In verse 3, if you have God's word in front of you, of this chapter, it says he took away the foreign altars where false worship would happen. He broke down the pillars, cut down the ashram. In verse 5, he took out of all the cities of Judah, the high places and the incense altars. 
In chapter 15, you could read it later, it fleshes out even more of him turning from these evil practices, these things that were going on in their life, that to turn to the Lord mean they have to leave some things behind. That's a great, great picture. He was determined, Asa, King Asa was determined to evaluate the country, the whole people of God, and say, where are we turning to the Lord, and what do we need to turn from? What, what is in my life that should not belong there? It even had family consequences. When he made this decision, it, it couldn't have been easy. But he's seeking the Lord. My sense is that if we live this world, live in this world on autopilot, not really ever thinking about what we need to turn from, my sense is spiritually we're going to get cluttered with so many things because the world is constantly bombarding us with messages saying you need this, this is important, add some of this, you need this too, you need this too. And if we are going to be seeking the Lord, we're going to have to be turning from some things. There are likely going to be things in our life that have just accumulated over time that aren't that helpful. Many of you know I love to watch sports, which these days means you watch about 30, 30 seconds of sports and about four minutes of commercials, right? So I really don't set out to watch a lot of commercials, but it's just part of, it, part of the deal you have to do to, to watch sports. And those commercials have a message. I mean, they're trying to sell us something. They're trying to sell us on a way of life. They're trying to pump into our head and into our heart. You need this. You need this. You can't live without this. And think about this. If we uncritically just begin taking all that in, I know, I know what it would mean for me sports-wise. If I just take in every message of every commercial that I watch, it probably means I would be drinking a lot. I would be gambling a lot. I probably would be eating at Applebee's regularly, and I would have lots of car insurance. I mean, it just seems, again, all these messages of things that you just cannot live without. And some may even be good things, but how quickly good things become really, really important, become ultimate, and then we lose our way. What are we turning from? What is in our life that shouldn't be there? So seeking the Lord is going to involve that. Seeking the Lord also is going to mean we're committed to fulfilling his will, or we could easily say doing what he says. It says in verse 4 that Asa commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law, the instruction, and the commandment. Your will be done, would be the words of the New Testament. I will do what you say. When the Lord gives instruction, we go, your way is best. I want to walk in that way. When the Lord gives commands and says, do this, don't do that, we say, yes, Lord, that's exactly what I want to walk in your paths. I want to do what you tell me to do. That's seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord also means, though, devoting yourself to serve him. So it's not just kind of a external practices, but it's also internally, like we are devoted to this. There's something going on in our heart that we're devoted to serving him. I notice even the pronouns are interesting in verse 2, verse 4, verse 7, because in verse 2, it's the pronoun, like, it's the Lord who is Asa's God. It's the Lord, his God. 
And verse four, there's this heritage that Asa is drawing on as he speaks to the people of Israel. And he says, this is the God of our fathers. There are people before us who had to walk with God. So let's turn to this God who is not a, a new God, not a novel God, but this is a God who's been faithful in the past. Let's turn to him now. Even in verse 7, it's like a corporate feel. It's not just Asa's God, not just the God of their fathers, but by the time you get to verse 7, it's like it's the Lord, our God, a whole people, saying you are our God, we will follow you, devoting wholeheartedly, bringing everything you get, you have, bringing all your gifts. Here am I, Lord, use me. The great story of my life is not going to be like Curtis Magnified. So everybody thinks well of him, but the great story of our life could be not just like you magnified, but God being magnified through you, which would last for eternity. This is devoting our life to serving him. Seeking the Lord, certainly in Second Chronicles, and not in our time either, it doesn't mean that you get to avoid or sidestep any problem or difficulty, avoid hardship or uncomfortable situations. As a matter of fact, Asa dealt with foreign enemies, foreign superpowers coming, kind of threatening Israel. And seeking the Lord also must look like this. Look at 2 Chronicles 14, 11. So the verse will be on the screen there. Asa cried to the Lord his God. And maybe this is a prayer we need to memorize and kind of reflect maybe in our own quiet time, in our own devotions and prayers to the Lord. Oh Lord, there is none like you to help. It doesn't matter with the mighty or the weak. Oh Lord, our God, for we rely on you. Help us. In your name, we have come against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Let not man prevail against you. You see, seeking the Lord is always going to involve crying out to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I need you. I need you. Do you see some handholds that this gives us? So when we talk about seeking the Lord, that we have at least a picture of, okay, this is what this is what it means. And this is the pursuit. I, and I don't know that we ever like cross the finish line in seeking the Lord. So this is something we're going to be growing in. A vital part of our relationship with God is seeking him. And by the way, God ordained it that way that you would seek him, not because he wants what's worse for your life, but because he always wants what's best. And what's best will always be your pursuit of him. It'll always be for your good. He didn't figure out some random obstacle course for you to navigate spiritually. He cares about your good, what's best for you, and he knows better than anyone else what that is. And so he says, seek me. The passage paints like material blessings, and, and those may come as we seek him. I think there are other blessings that come as we seek him that go far beyond what's in a bank account or what we drive or how many square feet our house. I mean, what, do you, what price tag would you place on a clear conscience and hope? What, what price tag would you place on freedom before the Lord, knowing that he loves you, knowing you can live a life, well-lived life that would bear fruit? I mean, this is what God has in mind. And in a fallen world, it doesn't always go well, even as we're seeking the Lord. It doesn't always go perfectly, but the picture is clear. No one is in worse shape because they were seeking the Lord. No one will ever rightfully say, I wish I hadn't thought God was so powerful. 
No one ever rightly in their right mind is going to think that. Or I wish I had not relied so much on his love for me. I would have been better off had I never done that. No one ever in their right, right mind with the right senses are, is ever going to say that. We have such a good model in Asa, don't we? A bright spot. Frankly, in, in a lot of places, this book is just going from bad to worse. But there's Asa. But here's, here's the rub with this like bright spot is that Asa didn't always seek the Lord. Asa didn't always seek the Lord. And we don't seek him all the time either. Certainly not every time. We start thinking, the grass seems greener with another kind of lifestyle, other kind of actions. Other people seem to be having a lot better than I am. And I know my conscience and the teaching of God's word says something, but... And then there's a series of compromises. Or we think we, find, we found a better way. Or we think, you know, I'll power through, you know, and like I'm, I'm going to get the job done here, and we don't seek the Lord. Or maybe we make decisions and we go days, weeks, months, without ever praying about it. We rely on everything else. We rely on someone, something, but we don't seek the Lord. Or we forget, or we just stubbornly refuse to depend on him. We get jaded, we spiral down, we don't seek the Lord. Or our lives get so, so small because they just kind of curve in on ourselves and all we can think, we all, all we are is so self-absorbed. We're just all about us all the time. And in the midst of that, somewhere along the line, we stop seeking the Lord. We stop thinking about using our life for his purposes, using our life for the good of others. We're just like, how can this world be used for me? And that's what our life becomes about. We don't always seek the Lord. That was true of Asa. It's true of us. As you read 2 Chronicles 16, it is where it goes dark. There are, there are, there are things that like Asa seemed to start well and not finish, which is I don't know how many of you have walked with the Lord for a long time, but let this be a warning to you. Like, there's no coasting here. Like, I, I want to finish well. I, I, I've known the Lord for a long time. And I, I don't want to a coast a decade or two or three. I always want, like, the main theme of my life to be I was seeking the Lord always. Pursuing him freshly, no matter how many years went by. But Asa began to wander in 2 Chronicles 16, two situations, we get a portrait of him not seeking the Lord. So one of, one of them is a, an entire civil war. So some of you are familiar with biblical history where the, the lower two tribes of Israel went against the, the northern ten tribes of Israel. And there was this civil war and there was constantly fighting in between those. And 2 Chronicles 16 says there was you know, a skirmish there and some threatening on the part of the northern tribes toward Asa and the southern tribes. There's a threat of like military armed conflict and Asa decides he needs to find an ally in, in the region and he goes to another nation and says, will you help? And they do. And it seems like everything's great. What, what a great alliance these nations form, Judah and this other nation, like what a great alliance. And, and then a prophet comes to Asa, a prophet directed from the Lord and says, you didn't trust me, did you? 
You didn't trust the Lord in this. Asa gets angry, rebukes the prophet, doesn't listen to him, and then takes it out on a bunch of innocent people. He did not, Scripture says, he did not seek the Lord. And I want to be fair because it would, if I'm Asa, it would be very, very like, it would make all kinds of logical sense why I would call an ally and go, we got a problem, could you help? Like, let's be in this. You're on our team, right? I mean, it would make all the sense in the world to me. So I want to be fair, but I also want to be clear because Scripture is clear and the prophet was clear. In this particular instance, the prophet says, you didn't rely on the Lord. You didn't trust God who searches our hearts, knows our motives, our intentions, our drives, our fears. He knows what's going on. I'm not in the place to judge. I'm not in the place to judge what's going on in your heart. I don't know your heart. But I, I do think I'm in the place to raise the question the scripture raises. Is, are there things going on in your heart where you are just not relying on the Lord? Are there, are there things where you think this relationship is exactly what you need and you've got it all mapped out and you have not been seeking the Lord at all about it? Or could there be a circumstances where you know this person needs to change and needs to change like yesterday and you're so fed up with it and tired of it, but you haven't thought to seek the Lord about it? Or are you pretty confident that there's a decision you've got to make and you're not an expert on a lot of things, but you kind of know this situation and you know this pretty well, so you're just going to make a decision and you don't really, there's some things you have to pray about, this one you don't really need to pray about, and so you move on ahead because you think, I've got this one. Or maybe there's bitterness that you're hanging on to that frankly needs to go, needed to go a long time ago, but you just kind of want to hold on to it. You're not seeking the Lord about it. Do you see? I mean, there, I, we could go on and on. There are tons of things that are going to hinder us from seeking the Lord. Asa has a civil war. What am I going to do? He doesn't seek the Lord. And then 2 Chronicles 16 says he also gets sick. And through the illness, he also, I mean, Scripture makes a point. Like, he did not rely on the Lord. He did not seek the Lord, despite the fact that there's this beautiful verse in Scripture, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, well worth you memorizing, that says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. So it's just like God scanning the world. And we know he's everywhere, but I love the picture here of him scanning throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless, those who are committed to him. And that was Asa at one point. But that is not Asa in 2 Chronicles 16. God's word is honest and realistic, and it's also painful, but always helpful. Saying this is how it goes. We see a person who failed. We're going to see people who failed. And maybe you're sitting here saying, that's me. More accurately, I think we could say, like, of course that's us. This is what our heart's going to do sometimes. That's why Isaiah would say it this way, all we like sheep have gone astray. We all turn every one of us to our own way. 
This is what we do. And yet, when I talk about seeking the Lord, it'd be very easy to go, Asa didn't measure up and I don't either. Asa messed up and I do too. And sometimes we feel like, okay, I feel like Curtis. I feel like I am like totally messed up and I, I, for days, weeks, months, maybe years, I have not been seeking the Lord, but I don't even know where I'd start. I feel like the kid that's lost in a big crowd and like, I don't, I don't even know where I would start to begin to seek the Lord. Actually, there's some amazing good news in scripture. When I think of starting points, it's actually a theme that it's present in the Old Testament. It's present in the first two-thirds of the Bible. But boy, as you get toward the New Testament, as Jesus comes, it's like the volume gets turned up louder and louder. And as much as the Bible is always going to say, you need to be seeking God, the message in the New Testament is so loud and clear, God is seeking you. God is seeking us. As much as you fail at seeking him, God has your number. He knows where you are. I I think about some of the stories that Jesus told, and it doesn't diminish the slightest that God wants us to seek him, but I think of Jesus telling the story of a shepherd who has one lost sheep and goes after and finds that one lost sheep, does not stop till he finds that. It's like the picture is you do need to understand that God is going to seek you. He's going to find you. It's a picture in Luke 15 of a a father going out to his two sons. And one of the sons has made a mess of his life. And the father is eagerly welcoming him back home. And and the other picture is a son who is stubborn and self-righteous, thinks he's better than everybody else. And the father still goes out and pleads to him, come back in. This is the whole mission of Jesus, according to Luke 19.10. For the son of man, Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. This is what he came to do. He came to find you. So if you're not that good at seeking him, and probably lots of us are not that good at it, he knows how to find you. And maybe that's exactly the story of what's going on right now in your heart. You're realizing maybe the first time in a long time that he is seeking you. Romans 10 even puts it in another frame, which is pretty amazing. Romans 10 and verse 20, quoting from Isaiah, says, I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Have you realized that the Lord is seeking you? Maybe today is the day you cry out for joy, saying, like, thank you, God. Thank you that when I wasn't looking for you, you found me. Maybe today is the day where you cry out and say, I I don't understand all of what the guy with the microphone is talking about. But I do believe you know me and love me and made me. And I'm crying out, Lord, would you save me? Would you take what Jesus did on the cross? and Would you apply that to my life? I want to turn from everything else and I want to trust in you. You need to talk to someone about that. You need someone to pray with you. We'd love to do that. Because God has like sufficiently dealt in the cross. God has dealt with the fact that you did not turn away from evil things. Sometimes you ran toward them. And God has dealt with the shame and guilt that caused. And now he says forgiveness is possible. 
God has dealt with the fact that we weren't fully devoted to him, but we turn to him and he meets us. And we find out he was looking for us. He changes us. He gives us a new heart to believe, to rely, to trust on him. So we can know God is good and in Christ God is for me. So we started with an ancient king named Asa who was seeking the Lord. And we saw in his life a pattern. And I hope that was helpful to you. And then we also came to grips with the fact that we fail at seeking the Lord so much. And then we process good news that God came seeking us. And by the way, when we kind of come full circle with this, we come back to this idea of God still wants you to seek him. That's why Jesus would say in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is why he would say in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. It's still a priority. It's, it's no less of a deal that you would seek God because God still wants your best. He's, he still wants what's good for you. And that will be found as you seek him. And Hebrews 11 puts it this way. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that, let's think about these words. He rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. Even if I haven't met you, I do know what I want for your life. I do want your life to be a bright spot in maybe a very, very dark world, very dark circumstances. But actually, my ambition is more than just individually that your life would be a bright spot. I wonder what if we were a community pushing and encouraging each other with our words and prayers to seek the Lord, that we were regularly meeting, even talking after the service going, how can we push each other more and more? How can we pray for each other more and more to be a community that like, makes our top priority being devoted to him, serving him. And what if together as a church family, we reminded as we sing how good it is that God came seeking us. That when we weren't looking for him, he came seeking for us. And what if, as I think about it, what if we work together in exporting a message? Exporting a message to friends and neighbors, co-workers in our areas. And the message isn't, come join our club. Come follow our rules. But what if the message is, come meet the one who's been looking for you. Come meet the Lord. Come meet the Lord. Come seek him. What a message we have. Can we pray? Our Father... What an invitation it is that you want us to seek you. You never tell us to go away, but when we're pursuing you, and so for all the failed attempts that we've made at seeking you, all the times we've done that imperfectly, I pray you would motivate again in our hearts a desire to seek you, to pursue you, and for the person that feels very far from you, I pray that they would be reminded that they would even have a conversation before they leave this room. They would be reminded that you, you know how to find us, even when we feel very lost. So thank you, Lord. 
Thank you for this hope. And as much as we want to hold on to you, we're grateful that you are holding on tightly to us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.